Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Elvis fans from around the world, welcome once again to another episode of the podcast I like to call Shaping Elvis. My name is Josh Ward, and I am again here in the WTVA podcast studios in beautiful King City, Tupelo, Mississippi. Thanks for joining me today. Just going to go get right into it. Today's episode um, is about Jesse Guerin and how the effects of his death shaped Elvis in a different way of growing up as a twinless twin. Now, I, of course, am not a twin. I have absolutely no idea how that would affect me. So my first thought was to, I got to find some twins. Well, I didn't have to go too far because it just so happens that I have a set of twins that are my nieces-in-law, I guess you'd say. I don't know. They're my nieces. Uh, Sam and Sydney, who live way up in Tennessee, uh, so I did have to give them a call. But uh, anyway, I'm just going to get right into it, just kind of see, you know, how it's like to live as a twin. I'm Samantha, and I'm from Tennessee. I'm Sydney, and I'm from Tennessee. Okay. And tell me, girls, you are twins, right? Yes. Yes. How about that? So uh, (laughs) without giving too much information, let's just say say this. uh, You guys celebrated a birthday not too long ago, correct? Yes, we did. How was it? It was fabulous. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. Uh, All right, so who's older? Who was born first and how many minutes apart? Me, Sam, or Samantha. I was born eight minutes before Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-hoo. Have you guys ever gone through what's called the twin thing? You know, like Like, you felt something the other one did or you thought something the other or you finished each other's sentences, that kind of thing. Sometimes when she's sad, I'm upset, or when I'm upset, she's upset. Um, yeah, when we were um, when we were younger, it used to aggravate both of us when we want to say something, and one or the other would finish each other's sentences, and that was that would be so frustrating. I'm like, how did she know say that? But it would always it would always happen. It just kind of she knew what I was going to say before I was going to say it. Right? Did your mom always? dress you up alike or up until about second grade and then after that we started i wanted to wear sweatpants to school and cindy was dressing all cute (laughs) (laughs) yeah we i don't know a whole lot of our like school pictures we all we have like the same outfit but like different colors so i would have on pink and she would have on purple or blue so we kind of matched quite a bit when we were younger but now that we're older i don't think i don't think we I've hardly anything thing. Right, right. Have you guys, did you guys ever switch places? Oh, we tried, but when I was little, I got bit by a dog, so I had a little mark on my face. And so everybody knew that Sam had a mark on her face. And we tried it one time, but then they saw the mark on my face and was like, that's Sam, you're not Sydney. Couldn't <laughs> uh, get away with it. It was always hard, but besides that, I mean, pretty much, I feel like we could have done it if, if the students in the class would have been quiet, like we we would have switched places, but I don't know. Yeah. It would have been fun not to pull it off. <laughs> uh, do you guys tend to hang with each other a lot, or? 
Oh, all the time. We are best, best friends. friends. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't imagine life without her. I mean, she's. What's we the, do everything together. Yeah, I mean, as long as you, I've I've known you, and and that's mm-hmm. kids, the babies. You you rarely see each other apart from each other. Um, so, getting into that, what is the longest time you guys have ever spent apart from each other? Um, about a week in high school, I went on a mission trip. And that was maybe five days, not not too long, but just enough where you're like, oh, I miss my sister. But now I'm at college, and that's yeah. not fun. We have to FaceTime each other, which isn't the same as being in the same room. But, I mean, it's still the justice. It's just not, you can't hug her and say goodnight. <laughs> right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that being apart from at while she's at college and I'm working full-time, that's definitely probably the longest we've ever been apart. So, going back to the twin thing, do you, does that kind of come back into play, or do you think you guys have grown out of that? Or yeah, I mean, I like, mean, that, that, I, in other words, now that you guys are so far apart, do you, do you like, huh? Something's going on with Sam, or hmm, something's going on with Sydney. <laughs> um, I don't know. Sometimes I get I get the feeling I need to like call her and talk to her and then she'll have something exciting or something she needs to tell me about her day but I don't know it is kind of sometimes you get a feeling like huh I wonder I wonder if I need to call her real quick to see what she's doing yeah and then and then you call her and she's like I have to tell you this right now (laughs) (laughs) it can't wait (laughs) do you know of any celebrity twins um the Olsen twins the Sprouse Dylan and Cole Sprouse the twin sisters that are on like twitches, um, Mount Towery, Mowry. Right. Yeah. Tia and Tamara. Tia and Tamara Mowry. Right. Um, sister, sister. Yes, that. Yeah. Let's see. I feel like there's a couple more that I know. Hmm. Um, who was? Is it Jake Owen? Yes, Jake Owen, the country singer. He has a twin brother. Um, I don't know anybody else. Or right now, I can't think of any. All right, so. I guess you're wondering why I'm asking you all this, unless you already know. Did you know that Elvis was a twin? I did. I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> but he was not. I really did not. I'm going to be honest. I did not know he was a twin. <laughs> who, is, who is that? Sydney. Sydney. Sydney didn't know that. <laughs> all right. Sam only. Okay. Sam, can you imagine life without your sister growing up? knowing she existed oh no goodness gracious that would just be hard and terrible oh my goodness knowing somebody i don't know that you're twins with somebody that would just be odd maybe if it was different if you were like had an older sibling and you knew who they were but you weren't close to them but it would be different if you had a twin i mean hello you were together eight months yeah why is that why would it be different I don't know, I guess, because it's like, I want to know if that person's like me or like, I mean, me and Sid are different, but at the same time, we <laughs> have some similarities, and so I wonder, I don't know, just their appearance, their, what they think, what they do, which I guess that all depends on how they were raised, but I feel like not knowing the person that was like supposed to be your sister, your sister or brother, I guess if it was a boy. Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like you just missed out. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sydney. Same question. Yeah, I feel like you kind of go along with 
with Sam. I feel like I would be like curious to know if we were similar in some ways or if we even looked alike or if we liked certain things and didn't like other things. Yeah, I feel like I would that would be I would be curious to know. But I can't imagine life not knowing it. Like would I don't know, if anybody would not want to know who it is. Because curious I mean people are curious. You'd want to kinda of know what what it would have been like. What do you think life would be if there were two Elvises? Uh, I, I feel like one would be the spotlight entertainer and then one would be that behind the scenes or they wouldn't really want to be the spotlight or competing with each other. It could go either way. They could compete for the spotlight or one could just be like, oh, I'm just going to be here in the crowd and support you. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I, I wonder if he would have would have been Elvis if he would have had a twin because, I mean... Wow. Like, like the Elvis he was, because some twins are just kind of cool with hanging out with each other, and so I don't know if one of them would be able to take the spotlight without the other one. Um, I don't know. Now, I have to say, it really does surprise me that you guys would say that, because to me, and this is outside looking in, Sam is the one that's always... I'm I'm standing behind you, Sydney. You you take off and you do, and but I'm gonna stand behind you. And then yeah. it turns right around, and Sydney's the one that like, ah, let's let's just kind of hang back and let's let's do this together. So, what the answer for both of you for Elvis would be kind of the both of what you would do? Would is that wrong in saying? Oh no, that's a- absolutely like it. Oh yeah, <laughs> accurate. Nailed it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, girls. Well, I will let you go, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for calling us and letting us us be a part of it. Yes, yes. It was fun. All right. I love you guys. I love you. Thanks for letting us be on the podcast. Sure. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for being on. No problem. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You know, as we all know, Jesse and Elvis were born on January 8th, 1935, around 4.30 in the morning. Of course, Jesse was born first and Elvis came later. Um, A moment of sadness and happiness rolled into one. Uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like. So how does that translate in one's mind? With the help of some friends here at the station, I found Dr. Ken Lippincott, a psychiatrist here in Tupelo, to kind of help me address that question. My name's Ken Lippincott, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I've been practicing here in Tupelo for 33 years. Yeah. And um, I, was, I, w- I worked at the Medical Center Behavioral Health for 21 years, and I've been over at the North Mississippi State Hospital for 19 years now, and I've, I've had a little private practice these last 33 years. You know. I'm most proud of graduating from Coffeyville High School in 1972, okay. and um, I graduated from Miss. I was supposed to graduate from Mississippi State University in 1976, but I just got my diploma in uh, 2012. Okay. <laughs> but I did graduate from the uh, University of Mississippi School of Medicine. Um, in 1980 with a medical uh, MD MD 
Yeah. 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 Um, and did a residency in psychiatry and neurology at Tulane back from 1980 to 85, and I've been practicing here in Tupelo ever since. And and tell me a little about your Tupelo practice. And you... Well, uh, like I said, I started off uh, 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 working at the Behavioral Health Center here at the Medical Center from 1985 until 2006, um, and um, I started seeing some private patients back then and uh, um, in 1999 when the North Mississippi State Hospital opened uh, I went to work there part-time and I took the job as the clinical director at the North Mississippi State Hospital in 2006 and um, at that time I, I left the uh, medical center um, and I haven't haven't worked there since these last uh, 13 years, and I quit. And I quit taking new private patients at that time, also in my office. So, but these, but I, I, I'm as the clinical director at the North Mississippi State Hospital. We work with patients with severe mental illness. You know, people who are um, um, committed by the courts uh, because they're not able to take care of themselves, or someone might think they're dangerous to themselves, or or even someone else. Uh, prior to our interview, um, I talked with a set of twins that I uh, uh, are my niece, my nieces have uh, uh -huh. a set of twins, and I asked them about the phenomenon called the twin thing, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, how they, you know, they finish sentences or unexplained feelings of the other one, or that kind of thing. Can you elaborate on the cause of what that could be like, or what that is? Well, you know, that, that's one of those uh, uh, phenomena that it's somewhat of a mystery, you know. I have, I have, uh, I, I don't have any twins in my family, but I've read and I've talked with people that twins have an uncanny connection. You know, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine recently and She's got twin nieces who are identical twins, and one of them lives in Australia. One of them lives in Cleveland, Mississippi. But when they, if, when they get on the, on the, um, you know, texting or on the phone, they, 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 it's not unusual for them to be wearing the identical outfit. And one time they were able, they were even wearing mismatched socks, and they had the exact same mismatched socks on. And wow. and this. Um, this lady, uh, her dad was a twin, and one um, uh, when, when, once when her dad severely injured his hand, almost cut it off. Uh, uh, his twin brother uh, called up and said, "What what happened? What happened to Zerl? <laughs> you know, really? you know, there's a, there's a connection there, and you know, as as I understand it, um, Elvis's twin brother." Jesse Guerin was still born about 30 minutes before Elvis came along and uh, I can only speculate that for one thing that that probably made him just all the more precious to his mother you know the uh, the relationship between Elvis and his mother Gladys was it was was it was very you know very close. I've I've read that um, his mom always told Elvis that he had the strength of two. Elvis Elvis was such a 
a phenomenon. You know, there's there's no explaining the phenomena of Elvis. You know, he he had a very special relationship to his mother, and you know, I I think that maybe um, since twins have such a close connection, and Elvis and Jesse, they were there in the womb for nine months together. You know, and I I can't help but think that maybe. Um, that that left a void for Elvis because he had that twin brother who who um, was never there, you know. And Elvis, um, in many ways, was a was a very a very humble man. Um, I was listening to Sirius XM radio the other day, and they said when you know when Elvis was um, filming his comeback TV special in nineteen. Uh, 68 or whenever um, right, right. Uh, he was just very nervous you know he, he, he thought that maybe uh, he was just a product of Colonel Parker's uh, special PR campaign you know he did he 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 he, he might have had some self-esteem issues in, in some ways I don't know but um, it was almost like uh, maybe maybe he felt like something was missing you know he was known as a searcher you know there was the recent uh, documentary on HBO uh, and he that's the title of it Elvis the searcher you know it's, right. he was he was he was uh, very spiritual you know he was known for his his spiritual songs and um, Interesting that that was the only Grammy Awards he ever won was for his um, spiritual religious songs. You know, he he um, you know he was reading some kind of a book about uh, some kind of a spiritual matter when he you know when he died. You know, I think he he had a special relationship with his mother. You know, she was he was doubly precious to her because she, you know uh, she lost her her other twin boy and Elvis might have felt that something was missing there because there is this uncanny connection between twins but I don't I'm not I'm I'm certainly no Elvis scholar but I'm not aware of of uh, Elvis um, talking about that are you it's come up from time to time and I, I can't remember a time ever hearing Elvis talk about his twin brother or anything like that. So as we're talking, when a, when a twin dies, the survivor is usually known as the twinless twin or um, the lone twin, if you will. Can you kind of describe you know, what might go through the mind of the survivor or you know, if that, how that makes his behavior? Well, he, 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 he might have had... Um some degree of survivor guilt, like why, why did I live and Jesse didn't? I think um, I think Elvis was always uh, searching for what, why he he was chosen for such phenomenal uh, rags to riches success. You know, it's like why why was I chosen? I mean, it, it, I think there's no question that uh, Elvis was just an incredibly talented um, person um, you know his music speaks for himself uh, um, but I think in in many ways he was a um, you know kind of a, a simple man um, and he he 
he he I think he he might have had had a little survivor guilt and wondered why he lived and his brother didn't and why when was he showered with all of this uh, worldly success and um, and it was almost like he 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 uh, he wondered why why he was deemed worthy of that you right. know and you kind of touched on this as well you know there's always been stories of Gladys being very protective um, in previous interviews I've heard you know he Elvis did have a little independence growing up you know because he, he would go and play with the kids or as long as he was back by dark or that kind of thing but even so we all know that she was a little more protective do you believe that may have been the result of losing a child well raising him as an only child I think it's 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 certainly likely that uh, she lost the first baby and then 30 minutes later Elvis comes along and he's he was you know from what I've heard and read he was the, the absolute apple of her eye you know she lived and breathed for Elvis and, and they had an incredibly close relationship, like like a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of great men were kind of mama's boys, you know. Sigmund Freud, uh, he his, I think he was, he was a little golden Siggy to his mama, you know. And and General MacArthur, he was he was he was very close with his mom. She even went to live with him when he went to school at West Point, you know. I can, I can only speculate I mean you don't know what their relationship would have been like if he had just been a um, you know a, a, a single baby but but losing his twin brother I'm sure made him all the more precious to her and and of course um, he was absolutely devoted to her in an earlier show earlier episode um, I had an interview um, and he said that the family never spoke of Jesse in the past tense. That's interesting. I, I, I didn't that, know that. Yeah, and that it was always present tense as if he had never passed away, like he was still alive. Is that common? I don't know. I don't I don't know about that, Josh. Um, I don't I don't know what to say about that. That's that's um, that's very interesting. Um, I don't know if it was Maybe, uh, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they felt that he was still there. You know, you know. Uh, I, I, I think Gladys said that Elvis had the strength of two. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they thought that in some way he lived on in Elvis. Yeah. I don't know. There's been interview again. Like I say, I think you touched on this. Elvis uh, had said in in certain interviews. I want to make sure I got this right. That he had to live twice as hard, do twice as much be twice as good because he was living for two and there was a sense of guilt and you kind of touched on that so is, is that a common feeling as well I, I think that's I think that's totally understandable since uh, you know that they um, spoke of Jesse Guerin is in the present tense it, it, it was like he was a presence in their lives but I really don't know and I, and I must say that the opinions I give here are strictly my own and not those of the hospital or the uh, psychiatric association right right, right. 
Yeah, we said we was going to do that at the very beginning, <laughs> didn't we? Um, had Jesse survived, do you think we would know Elvis as we do today, or maybe even the Presley name? Well, you know that we we can only we can only speculate. Um, who knows? They, they um, you know, you, you, we're only limited by our imagination. Boy, that it would have been a phenomenon to have two Elvises. I, I, I don't suppose anyone knows if Elvis and Jesse were identical twins or fraternal twins. You know, I think the you know the identical twins share the exact same chromosomes and genetic makeup, but of course, fraternal twins are. You know they're they're just like regular siblings. You know they might, you know siblings don't necessarily resemble each other. But you know I think I think in one of Elvis's movies I forget which one it was he he um, played a twin and uh, it would it would uh, be quite a phenomena to have two Elvises or. Elvis Aaron and Jesse Guerin, uh, uh, it would it, it, it we could we can only fantasize about them uh, singing a duet or something. Right, right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Moving to religion and and kind of um, you know his upbringing, do you think that helped with the grieving process then, and was part of it as he grew older? I think I think. Uh, uh, that's I think that's very likely, you know. As, as I understand it, um, Elvis um, attended the, a, a, a very um, evangelical church, you know, and um, um, I think that the the belief that uh, Jesse uh, would be probably waiting for him in heaven gave him a lot of solace. You know, maybe that's why they talked about him in the present tense. You know, maybe um, they thought that he was he was uh, in heaven uh, and just um, that they would be reunited one day. I I really can't say. Mm-hmm. Um, music was obviously a go-to uh, for Elvis. Uh, obviously, something he would always go to. Uh, but there have been uh, stories of. You know, gospel music being uh, playing a big role in his life. As a matter of fact, um, the gospel album released last week uh, debuted at number one of his, and um, which is a very first in his career. <laughs> uh, you know, even after forty years. But um, anyway, again, do you do you think gospel music would be like an, just part of the upbringing um, preference? something deeper do you think that was just like a an, again just another source of release outgoing well I, th- I think Elvis was a very spiritual man and of course I think he he probably started singing I'm, I'm sure he started singing at church you know like a lot of great singers uh, you know the, uh, uh, you know the late Aretha Franklin a lot of great singers mm-hmm. um, but El- you know El- I've, 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 I've heard and read that Elvis used to stay up into the wee hours of the night after his concert singing gospel music just that's what he did for fun right you know um, he loved he absolutely loved it and lived it and breathed it it was just part of him 
you know, uh, gospel music, and you know, he he was raised in that um, in that uh, strong community of faith, and uh, you know he you know he like a lot of us he he probably kind of got away from the church after he got grown up but but that that always that always uh, the music always stayed with him as you know i've been to the birthplace several times as of late and a couple of episodes ago we talked with miss nina who is a tour guide and um, now she has an interesting story of how growing up a twinless twin for elvis might have been in his younger days we were talking about um how jesse jesse garen his twin brother was still born and his thoughts on that, you know, that he was uh, always guilty. I, that's that's the word I was looking for. Um, I had read and, and seen interviews how he was, felt guilty because he was the one who lived. Uh, can you touch on that? Well, I think Elvis did because Elvis's mother worshipped the ground Elvis walked on. But she also reinforced the fact that because Elvis's brother did not live, Elvis was to live for two people. And he had to go on regardless, you know. And Elvis just got in his mind that if his brother had lived, he might not have lived. And he kind of felt guilty that he got to live and his brother didn't. But he said himself, he said, I feel like part of me is missing all the time. And yet I feel like I have to go on like Mother said. I have to live for two people because he's not here. Did, did, can you confirm that Elvis came back to visit his brother's grave? I can. Uh, I can do it, but not that I've seen him do it, but my daddy did. And he said Elvis would cry because somehow or another they had marked the grave with a wooden marker and that had rotted and nobody in the family thought to replace it right then. We think our minds will remember where something is forever. Trust me, it won't. And his daddy never could completely relocate the grave. You can't dig in a cemetery unless you can prove that your family member's there. That church had partially burned a time, and some of their records burned up with it, so there was no solid evidence to say exactly where the baby's body was. So they couldn't identify it. Vernon tried as best he could to find that body to care to Graceland when he relocated Elvis's mother and Elvis there. He couldn't find it. So they put a memorial stone at Graceland. Right. That's to this day. To this day, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak on well you just said that you we know we know Jesse Garrett is, is buried at Priceville Cemetery. Priceville Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's buried they're close to the Elvis plot where a lot of the Presleys are buried. Mm-hmm. We just can't locate the exact spot. Exact spot. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there a marker there at all? Can you comment on that? 99% of the time, no. Once in a while, there'll be a fan that will put a marker up. But whether, you know, it's just wherever they want to put it. Mm-hmm. No accuracy to it. So really and truly, 100%, nobody really knows. No, that's correct. Nobody really knows. Mr. Roy Turner also has a little insight on that. So Elvis always lived under the shadow of Jesse. Um, I think a bit of a burden. And when he and his friend James Osborne 
would cut from that little uh, neighborhood in East Tupelo. If you go behind the birthplace and keep going through the woods, you're going to come out right about at Priceville Cemetery. And that's the route they would take to go to Chico Creek. And James said they would always cut through the cemetery because it was a shortcut, and Elvis would always say, I want to stop and see Jesse. And this is a kid. And James said he'd just stand there quiet for a minute like he was meditating and then say, okay, I'm ready. But you know, that's kind of odd behavior for... Yeah, especially for a child. A kid, you know, nine, ten years old. Um, maybe even younger, as early as eight. Wow. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that's kind of where I was going next, the impact of impact that mm -hmm. his death had on... Elvis. Well, as I said, I think he carried uh, the death of Jesse sort of like a cross. It, uh, one side of him felt triumphant. I mean, he had lived. And another part of him felt guilty and that he had lived. You know, it was a double-edged sword. Um, Elvis Gladys and Vernon were all very superstitious people, too. Uh, I know Vernon says the night Jesse was born, he walked out on the porch. I'm sorry. Vernon says the night Elvis was born, he walks out on the porch, and there's either a shooting star or a ring around the moon. I forget what it is, but some phenomena in the sky that he equates as a sign that Elvis was going to be special. I, I say that because of the superstitions of them. When Vernon gets back from prison and they're living inside Tupelo with Gladys's relatives, by that time Elvis had started sleepwalking and they had had to move all the hooks on the doors up high enough that he couldn't reach them because he was waking up in the night and going outside. When Vernon gets back from prison, Gladys's folks that I interviewed said they would all three wake up having experienced the same dream. Now how many, they were all sleeping in the same room, possibly the same bed. How many people wake up in a family having had the same dream? And this was not a one-time occurrence, they said. It, it happened, you know, not every night, but regular enough that it was weird. So they were um, different in that respect. Uh, and without being derogatory, I think a lot of people from their socioeconomic background and from their religious background, the early days of, of the Assembly of God Church, uh, superstition played a very big role. Uh, you know, you had the talking in tongues and, and this uncontrollable dancing that would happen in the worship services and uh, to an outsider it certainly looked superstitious because your other churches were so much more sedate and formal and stiff but not the assembly of God or the Pentecostal church or the church of God or any of those that we outsiders referred to as charismatic but to be honest they got something out of the Holy Spirit I think all the rest of us were missing from the get go have you ever thought what it would be like had Jesse survived? Yeah, I think a lot of people have always thought that. Uh, 
Would they have both been talented? Would they have both been a sponge for music the way Elvis was? Or would they have been different personalities? Because with twins, uh, very often, you know, they they consciously make an effort to not be alike because their mothers want to dress them alike and treat them alike. And, and they're fighting for their own individuality. So I don't know if Jesse would have gone into music or not, or maybe he would have grabbed the music and Elvis would have got the rifle, you know? <laughs> um, it's an interesting question to think about, but I've always felt that regardless of where Elvis had been born, he would have become some type of singer to some degree of greatness maybe not as great as he was, but some degree, he would have definitely had a different sound. He wouldn't have been this humble, shy, yes ma'am, no sir person that he was an adult. That was a, a Southern upbringing from a particular class of people that always showed respect to elders. Had he been born in the ghettos of New York, he would have had a different sound. Uh, and he had certainly had a different cockiness a different attitude uh, and I think I told you this another quote of Elaine's that I love uh, she said you can hear the soil in Elvis's voice the way you hear the cement in Sinatra's and I never thought about it but you can Sinatra's sound is a very metropolitan gritty city sound and Elvis's sound is very earthy yeah. church was important to them uh, to a degree I don't know that they were every Sunday worshipers but but they were semi-regular. They did sing a lot. You know, in those days, they had singings a lot at various churches. And Vernon and Gladys and Elvis sang as a trio. And evidently, they went to any denomination when there was a singing. And if there was an opportunity to sing, they would sing. Because I interviewed this lady uh, one time, Mary Kate. She went to East Heights Baptist Church. And they were having a singing one Sunday. And Vernon and Elvis came to the singing. And... Everybody was wanting them to get up and sing, and Vernon said, we can't because Gladys is homesick today, and we don't have an alto. And this lady, Mary Kate, said, well, I'll sing the alto, and she got up and did Gladys's part with them. So that's how I knew that they made these rounds, and she told me about them singing, her seeing them singing at various congregations, denominations, because she too would go to the singings, because that's a big part of their entertainment. The church. We have all heard stories about how Elvis, after a show, would come in and would sing gospel songs for hours and hours on end. You know, what the audience saw on stage, that was their show. But backstage, this was Elvis's show. He wanted to get around and get around the piano or just uh, get with some friends, and they would sing gospel music all night long. I want to introduce two people right now, and later on we'll hear more from them, but right now it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Guy Harris. Now, Mr. Harris grew up with Elvis as a child, and again, later on we'll hear that whole story, but so he, firsthand experience, can tell you what life was like and how church was viewed specifically from the Presleys. The church was very important to Elvis and and oh, you yeah, guys so, growing up, well, right? Yeah, yeah. You uh, you didn't have to worry about what you're gonna do on Wednesdays and, and Sundays. Yeah. You go to church on Wednesday night, you go to church on Sunday night, and you go in that little white church over there, 
It's, uh, it was white like it is right now. That's the original deal on it. And then they came along and put that old uh, vinyl side and stuff on it, you know, made out of kind of tar paper and stuff, and put that on it. And I'm going to tell you, that little church right over there, I remember when they'd have a revival there at that church was built. I've been gone from this to maybe like this. <laughs> but we lived, you could walk out the front door of our house on the front porch. You looked in the front door of that church. Is that right? Yeah. That do- the double doors that go back, and they're still the same way. And, and uh, no air conditioning. In the summertime, this time of year, well, you know, they raise all the windows in there. And, uh, and uh, they had a couple of those ladies that get in there and get happy and get shouting and <laughs> one eye and one the other, and, you know, and stuff like that. But now I've seen them standing at every window on that little church, and the window's up four and five deep, and our porch would be covered with people other than that church being packed out. The next person I'd like to introduce is Miss Wanda Gale Presley. Now, she is a cousin to Elvis, and again, we'll talk to her more in depth a little later. But let her tell you how the church is to her family. We're sitting in here in the chapel. Beautiful stained glass in front of us, and, uh, nice and quiet. Let me ask you, what about the gospel side of Elvis? Why? I mean, why was that not only important to him, but I mean, also to your family, I'm assuming, and you know, to just, um, I don't know how to word it, just why, why was that important to him? I think that molded Elvis into who he is today. I think that was the beginning, that was the first music. And I went to a church where our pastor knew Elvis some way, his family married him. I'm not sure what the connection was exactly. But he was saying that Elvis had told one of the family members that he would give up everything he owned if he could go back to that little church in Tupelo and feel what he felt there. And I think he never outlived that. And we're talking about the church that sits right out here in front of us. Yes. Yeah. I tell you, Elvis's gospel music, can anybody sing it better? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I have my opinion. But from a couple of gentlemen that we've already talked to, Mr. John Emerson and, of course, Mr. Tom Brown, will give you their take on Elvis's gospel music and what gospel means to him. And I'd like to introduce another friend of mine that I've met through the podcast, Mr. Don Knight. Mr. Don Knight is the current owner of Johnny's Drive-In. And yes, we'll hear from him a little more later on in the series. So here's what they had to say. I I think the thing that that comes up about gospel music and Elvis is the relationship he had with, with God and his family and church and the music of the church. Because when Elvis is a kid growing up in Tupelo, they don't have an entertainment dollar to spend. They're not going to the movies or watching television or even listening to the radio. The only music that's in Elvis's life is the music from church. And it just became a part of who he was as such a young kid and, and hearing that music. And as he went on throughout life, 
that was still the music that spoke to him the most, that still touched his heart. And when you think about the fact that when Elvis is doing his shows in the 70s and he's doing rock shows, he's pretty much always got two gospel quartets on stage with him as backup singers. And there was always a moment in the show that he stopped his rock show and did a gospel song or two or three and exposing gospel music to an audience that might not have heard gospel music. And people always talk about, you know, Elvis only won three Grammys. And I say, well, it's sad he didn't win more Grammys, but the cool thing is he won them for the music that was most important to him. Those three Grammys are all for gospel music. And if there's a new documentary called The Searcher that's on HBO, and it'll be out widely. You can be able to get it soon, you know, everywhere, wherever DVDs are sold. And one of the things that it really spent a lot of time in that documentary, two, two elements that I think get overlooked and forgotten in Elvis's story, and that is he was dirt poor. I mean, Tupelo, they spent a good deal of time in the first episode really talking about how poor that family was. They had nothing, just like all the people around them. There were no, you know, no one looking down on the Presleys because they were amongst people that all of them had nothing. And the other thing was how important the church was in his life and, and thus gospel music. And it just became this thread throughout his life. Growing up in poverty, you know, that's why Vernon kept all the furniture and kept all the receipts and kept all the cash checks because they kept the lamps because, you know, this could go away tomorrow and we we're going to have all the stuff that we bought. You know, luckily now for the archives at Graceland, they've got all that stuff. But Vernon was prepared for the day that they didn't have that money coming in because he was a kid that grew up like Elvis did with nothing. And that gospel music continued to be the really only kind of music that really touched Elvis uh, deeply. I've interviewed so many of the guys that worked with Elvis, especially the gospel singers. You know, they said, Elvis did that show on stage for you, the audience. But then when that show was over, we all went back to his suite at the Hilton and we sang gospel music all night for him. That was his, that was his show, his gospel music. So when he could sing anything he wanted to, he sang gospel. And that's how important it was to him. And it's, it's, uh, it's odd, but, you know, it, during his concerts, he would actually stop and let the stamps just take over. Oh, yeah. Don't look at me, look at them. Yeah. Put the spotlight on them. You know, And he would stand with his hands behind his back, with his head bowed giving them the center. Now, still every eye was on Elvis, but if it was on Elvis, you were seeing him touched by that music and saying, you sing this for me, guys, and singing a song like Sweet, Sweet Spirit or something like that. And, yeah, and, and what is it, Elvis on tour? I think he actually turns to the audience and tells them, be quiet. Yeah, they're, they're screaming, and he's like, no, 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 shh, shh, listen to them, listen to them. Yeah, exactly, you've, you've done your research, you've oh. seen those movies. <laughs> It had to be one of the easiest genres of music for him to perform because he grew up in it. He grew up in the in small country churches, and uh, you know the, the hymns. When we sang the hymns back in that time, you know, it was it was that in that gospel, you know, type and style and stuff. You know, um, uh, you know, a couple of parts. And this is talking about how I got I got raised. You know, listen, I told you. Uh, I think I mentioned that. You know. Uh, in our church, we had two hymnals, the Baptist hymnal, and we had this little paperback hymnal that had shape notes in it. You know, a lot of people don't know what shape notes are, but little sh shape like triangles and, and all this stuff. But every fifth Sunday, if there was a fifth Sunday in the month in our church, on Sunday night, uh, my daddy, who's a pastor, uh, would not do a sermon. We would uh, do fifth Sunday night singing, and everybody would break out the, the uh 
paperback book, and, and Daddy would get up front, and he would lead, and uh, the pianist and the organist were there, and we had the choir, and people would just raise their hand, and, you know, let's sing number blah, 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 blah. And we'd do that for an hour, and people just loved it, and we were just singing, just, you know, singing old gospel tunes, you know. Uh, uh, um, and it, it was just a, a real fond memory. But, I mean, that's how it got ingrained. Gosh knows how many people have got that kind of cultural bond to that, that style of music. And he, you know, he as well. Um, my uh, grandfather and grandmother on my dad's side, Mimi and Granddaddy, had a collection of Elvis uh, albums. And uh, one of them was all gospel music. And I remember it because the album, the vinyl, instead of being black, was gold. This gold color, gold plastic color. And uh, I don't know if they were trying to say all these RCA albums or gold albums or, or whatever. But, you know, I, you know, it always struck me as a kid. But, you know, my Mimi would play those, you know, from time to time. You, back then you had those big console stereos, you know. Uh, you know, had a turntable in there and had the dial radio, you know, had the little, uh, you had the bulbs in it, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, she'd play that, you know, sometimes in the afternoon when we're up there and listen to Elvis sing the gospel tunes and stuff. Well, in what I've read, I know a lot of his kinfolks here. I know a bunch of them. Harold Ray was a sheriff, you know, I knew him. Uh, Larry, he was a policeman, I know him. They was all cousins. Well, no, but the, the Smiths, they was all, all family. But it goes right back to, to that little old church room there that he was in. He was raised up in church. They believed in that, you know, like a long time ago. Uh, people didn't have, they didn't have that thing do on, on Sunday much because of the blue laws. When I was a kid, the blue laws, you didn't operate on Sunday, so Sunday was the time to go to church. And most people went to church, and, and uh, you got everything, everything from that. Uh, I don't know if that's making sense to you, but what I'm saying is that when we were kids, and he was, he was older than me, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to do except on Sunday, except visit and go to church, go to grandma's. That's what we did one more night on Sunday. And if we went to church, then we went over there. But they spent a whole lot, a whole lot more time in church than that we do today. And, and, and I think that's where he got all that gospel from. And then he could sing it. And, and like I said, he was inspired by God. That's just my thought. I mean, that's why I always believe that. And, I don't know if that's what you want to hear. I mean, no, that's, that's, that's great. And, and you can actually hear, you know, there's, there's a certain way he brought that across, you know. Yes, when he was when he was singing his, his rock and roll, whatever, right. whatever right. secular music, that's right. when he was singing that, there was a certain edginess and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When he brought in his gospel, you could tell the tenderness and sincerity uh, in his voice. Would you agree with that? Yes, sir. You sure could. I like I watched just about every movie that he ever made. And I've, I've listened to all this song. We got a station here when all our tours come in. They like to listen to it, so we switch over to the Evans Channel. And, and it's, it's the ability to to get, of course, a lot of the men probably were jealous of it, like myself. <laughs> but the ability to the ability to hold your attention, you know, uh, while he's singing that song. Some of his songs he make cry. Some of his songs. Uh, there's very, very few people uh, that uh, 
that I that I know that make me cry the song in gospel music is that what's going to do. Uh, there's a lot of good melodies that come out that, that really have a lot of meaning to them, but gospel, gospel is the thing that gets most people attention. Now, we're in the Bible Belt. We're in the Bible Belt. Uh, uh, Sunday's a time to go to church. Getting, getting the music played today versus the music played when he was there is a whole lot different. Uh, didn't have any all this equipment to make you sound good. He was raw power, and he had that raw power. He knew how to. He just he just knew how to do it. I wish I could do it. I'm, <laughs> I can't do nothing but burger. <laughs> he can't do that real good. And while talking to some of the folks at the birthplace, I ran into one person in particular that really stuck out in my mind that. I've been saving her for this particular episode. What's your name? Susie. Where are you from? Chicago. Uh, let me ask you a question. What brings you to Tupelo? Well, my mom is a huge Elvis fan, so we are usually in Graceland, but we found out about the birthplace, and we wanted to check it out. Did you happen to come here um, just because it's Elvis Fest? Or yes, just... <laughs> we came here just for Elvis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much. Let me. Uh, what What do you think of What do you, what do you think about? It? Is this your first time to go through the birthplace? Yes, yes, it was my very first time. And uh, what do you think? It was a lot of fun. I thought it was really cute. I, I liked all the um, little details and about Elvis and especially the church. I like that a lot. Yeah. What do you What do you uh, Now that's kind of a, a new attraction. Been here not too long, but what do you What was your overall feelings and thoughts and whatever your mojo, whatever you want to call it? <laughs> um, Experience. That's the word I was looking for. Experience. Yeah. Well, Graceland has a lot like about Elvis as an adult and a lot about his performances and things like that. But it was fun to learn about his childhood and, and you know what he did as a kid and see some specific things related to that um, and myself I'm a big believer and faith person myself so being at the church and hearing all the gospel hymns yeah. kind of took me back a little so I enjoyed that <laughs> well all right um, what what is what is is it about Elvis singing gospel music that really touches you or, or helps you in any way? Um, I think just gospel music itself just touches people that are filled with the Spirit of God. So, yeah. you know, him singing that is like a winner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it did make him special because then, you know, people can relate to him in that way who also share that belief. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, it's been 40 years since he's passed. You, you look uh, younger than me. <laughs> I'll just say that. Number one, how did you get into being an Elvis fan? Strictly because your mom? Yes, strictly because of my mom, yes. But I'm also, like myself, I'm in a rock band. I'm a, the front woman of a band, Grain of Sand. Um, nice plug. Yes. <laughs> I had to plug that in. Sure. And, uh, you know, so I've always liked rock and roll. Um, actually, I like many different musical genres. I'm a big Johnny Cash fan as well. So coming here every year, um, well, I've known Elvis is too since I was a kid because I grew up in a home where it was played all the time. Uh, and then Johnny Cash, I kind of picked up on my own. Um, so, yeah, so I get the best of both of those worlds here, right. you know, Memphis and Mississippi. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your trip. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with me. <laughs> that was fun. So as you can see, gospel music, and I think it would be safe to say the church, for him, helped Elvis and his family continue with life. Now, as we said earlier, for Elvis... As we all know, gospel music was a very important part of his life, played a big role. 
And as it has been said before, not only did it uplift him, it continues to uplift us. I'd like to encourage everybody, if you hadn't already heard it, um, the new CD that just came out from Elvis, Where No One Stands Alone. It's a great, great CD. And I think you will enjoy it very, very much. So that's it, folks. I do hope you have enjoyed this episode of Shaping Elvis. Drop by and see me over at my Facebook page. Give me a shout over there. You can always email me, shapingelvis at gmail.com or jward at wtva.com. I'd like to hear your stories, so don't forget that. I always like to read those, and I will share them with everybody else here. But for now, it's time to go. So this is Josh Ward saying Elvis may have left the building, but he's never left our hearts. Until next time, from beautiful King City, Tupelo, Mississippi. Bye. Shaping Elvis is produced and edited by me, Josh Ward, executive producer Jason Lee Esri. It is a production of WTVA Podcasts. The views and opinions you hear on the show belong to me and my guests and don't necessarily reflect those of WTVA, parent company Heartland Media, or WLOV. Thank you and good night.